This is a podcast of Highland Hill Community Church in Tacoma, Washington. You can visit our website for more information at www.highlandhillchurch.org. And let's go to our message. Uh, I've been teaching Sunday school for a while, and in Sunday school, when I went through the passage regarding 2 Kings 5, Nahum and the Syrian, I had this haunting feeling uh, after I had taught on it that I had missed things. I don't know if you ever had that. Sometimes in Scripture what we do is we uh, superimpose what we've learned in the past on a passage, and that closes us to, to learning new things, new insights. You know, I've been a guitar player for a long time, and I have never even come close to exhausting all the things you can do on a guitar. I've been amazed at a violin. I don't know how a thing that small can sound so good. And if you've ever heard of Yasha Heifetz uh, on an old movie, I used to watch some of the old movies, and I would see this old violinist go out there and come, and come up with notes I couldn't believe, the purity of the tone, everything. And I had this funny feeling I had missed things in the passage. Well, I had missed a lot in the passage. You remember when you were a kid? Yes, I was a kid. Um, you had these books that had, num- had, had dots and numbers, and there was a picture, and you had to to close in the dots, one, two, three, four, in order, and you couldn't see the picture. You could see the dots. But you knew there was a picture there if you took the time to connect the dots. And this morning, we're going to connect some dots. Also, when I was a kid, one of the highlights of my life as a kid was I'd get to spend uh, two weeks, each of us, my brother, my I was the oldest, uh, myself, my brother, and my sister, two weeks with Grandma and Grandpa. I don't know if you ever had that experience. Now, we were in Southern California, and Grandma was cool. You ever a cool Grandma? We'd go to Disneyland, uh, Movie Land, Wax Museum, Movie Land of the Air, Knott's Berry Farm, cool stuff. Knott's Berry Farm used to have this place where you'd pan for gold. I knew nothing about panning for gold, but gold's part sounded pretty good. So you're sitting there with this little pan, pretending like you're really doing it, trying to get the dirt out, and you're looking for sparkles. And then when you're done, you get a few sparkles, and they put it in this little tiny little tube, and you're feeling like a million bucks. I don't know what it's worth, probably 29 cents. But you're feeling good. You know, the scripture is like that. When you get into the Bible, if you take the time to connect the dots, you take the time to look for the sparkles, do some digging, and you'll probably find diamonds and rubies and gold in spiritual treasures that you've never seen before. Now, today I'm going to do something a little bit different, a little similar to Sunday school. I'm going to cover a lot more than preachers normally do, and it's going to be kind of a running commentary. And uh, I'm going to try to give you some insights and some practical things. This passage is an amazing passage. And even as I did study, look at some of the commentaries, I think some of the things in there they had were very good, but I think they missed some things I had, I was, I literally, I'm a construction worker. I'd be thinking about this at work and I pull out notes and I jot down little notes, stick them back in my pocket that I'm working. And I've, I've been there now so long they could, uh, it's a joke. They used to say, Scott's been there 50 years. I'm in year 46. One kid came up to me one day and he says, you've been there longer than I've been alive. <laughs> that is the truth. All right, I'm going to read the entire passage, and then I'm going to go back. We're going to connect the dots, mine for some gold, and see what we can come up with. This is 2 Kings 5. Bibles are in the pew. I highly encourage you to bring your Bibles to church. If you're not sure how to find stuff, look at the table of contents. Look under 2 Kings 5, and I'm reading from the New American Standard. 
Now Naaman, captain of the army, the king of Aram, was a great man with his master and highly respected because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was also a violent, a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. Now the Arameans had gone out in bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. Now Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus spoke the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Aram said, Now go, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand shekels of gold and ten changes of clothes. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel and said, And now, as the letter comes to you, behold, I have sent Naaman my servant to you that you may cure him of his leprosy. That's called the doctrine of fat chance. And it came about when the king of Israel read the letter and he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive? That this man is sending word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Now consider now and see how he's seeking a quarrel against me. And it happened when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes and he sent word to the king saying, no problemo, no. A little Spanish lingo, but it was in Hebrew. What have you torn? Why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. But Naaman was furious and went away, and behold, I thought, behold, I thought, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abinam and Far, however you pronounce this, Farfot, Farpar? Farpar. I don't have any, never mind. The rivers of Damascus. Better than all the waters of Israel, could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. That's called river rage. Then his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went out and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. When he returned to the man of God with all his company, he came and stood before him. He said, Behold now, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So please take a present from your servant now. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will take nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. And Naaman said, If not, please let your servant at least be given two mules load of earth. And your servant will no more offer burnt Offering, and this is critical, nor will he sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the house of Rimon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Rimon. When I bow myself in the house of Rimon, the Lord pardon your servant in the matter. And he said to him, Go in peace, and he departed from him some distance. Now Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, the man of God, thought, Hmm. Behold, my master has spared this Naaman the Aramean by not receiving from his hands what he bought, what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. When Naaman saw one running after him, he came down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? He said, All is well. My master has sent me. Not so. Behold, now two young men of the sons of the prophets 
have come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give me a talent of silver and two changes of clothes. And Naaman said, be pleased to take two talents. And he urged him, and he bound two talents of silver in bags with two changes of clothes and gave him to two of his servants, and they carried them before him. And when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and deposited them in the house, and he sent the men away, and they departed. But he went in and stood before his master, and Elijah said to him, Where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant went nowhere. And he said to him, Did not my heart go with you when the man turned from the chariot to meet you? Is it a time to receive money and to receive clothes and olive groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen and male and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cleave to you and to your descendants forever. So he went from his presence, a leper as white as snow. Now, I'm not going to spend as much as you're fearing on this, but I am going to spend some time. There is so many things taking place in this passage. It's truly an amazing passage. Right off the bat, we learn about this, this guy, Naaman. So we have a name, Naaman. And then we have a nationality. He's a Syrian or Aramean, both the same. And he has a nemesis. And we've all had these crises, but his nemesis was a disease called leprosy. Now, when I began studying leprosy, the leprosy of the Old Testament times apparently is different from the leprosy of today, often called Hansen's disease, which in early stages can be cured. So here's this guy. He's the top dog. He's the big man, a general, and he's got this disease. And, and one of the big questions people ask today is, why does God allow suffering and evil? Do you ever ask yourself that? Um, I have a few different answers for that, and we could spend a lot of time on it. But, but one of them is to get our attention. You ever, have a, you ever notice that when things are going right, our attention tends to be other than God? But when you're on your back, the only place you can look is up. And sometimes God allows that just to get us to look up. Sometimes it's of our own making. We've created our own problems. We live in a fallen world. Sin and its effects are all around us, everywhere we look. The whole universe has been affected. Adam and Eve had a great thing. They had a garden that was easy to take care of. Is your garden easy to take care of? How would you like a weedless garden? I once told one of the ladies here I was going to plant some plants that were fake. She was appalled. I didn't plant those plants. I thought it would be fun. Imagine the wintertime they'd come by and see these things. Matt, guy's got a green thumb. He's better than Ed Hume. But I didn't do it. Some of it is Satan's doing and his destruction. We see that in the book of Job. Satan is doing his evil. So there's all kinds of reasons why there's suffering. But one fact is suffering says something is wrong. Also, we notice that one of the great aspects of heaven is you leave suffering aside. It's only for a time. And so it's kind of a trade-off. We may suffer and will for a time, but in heaven, there's no doctors in heaven. You don't have to get out your cell phone and call the doctor and wait for a visit. Have you died yet? No. Come in Tuesday. It's hard to get a doctor. I found that out. So we find out right off the bat, he said, now the Arameans, uh, he's a valiant warrior, he's a leper. Also notice that they said the Lord had given them victory to Aram. God is sovereign over all nations. He actually realized that the God, Jehovah or Yahweh, had allowed him to have victory over Israel. Now, the Arameans had gone out in bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. 
Now, that doesn't seem to be significant, but the title of my message, which is not mentioned here, is An Unlikely Hero. All through life and all through the Bible, there's an interesting theme, and the theme is unlikely heroes. And as I began looking at this passage, I began to think about uh, who's the hero here? Now, you could say God. That's always a nice way to answer questions. That's a cop-out. God is always a hero. I grant that. But there's human heroes that he uses. And it's surprising in this passage, when you read through, the one you think is the hero isn't. The one you don't think of the hero is. So it says, a little girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. Can you imagine being taken from your family, from your land, deported by a foreigner? You don't even speak their language. What would be your response? Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were taken, deported to Babylon. They were probably around 13 or 14 years old. And yet, at that point in their life, they already knew what they would live for and die for. And here's a little girl. What is she like? She's been snatched from her family. I think she's been there a few years. The reason I believe that is because you'll find that she's really adopted this family. This is now her family. And you know, when you go through tough circumstances, you have a choice. You can be bitter or better. And we've all seen that. Sometimes you see old people that are bitter. Some I've seen that are just tough and love Christ. I love to see the old boys that still love the Lord, excited about their faith. And she said to her mistress, now think about this. This is a kid in a pagan land surrounded by idols She's the lowest person on the totem pole. She's a young girl. She's a slave. She has nothing but John Maxwell in his book on leadership says leadership is influence. Ever think about that? Leadership is influence. She said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. Do you know one of the greatest things you'll ever give somebody is hope? He had no hope. In that, in that time, even the leprosy of the time, there were sores on your skin. There were, the, the word leprosy covers a lot of ground, a lot of skin diseases. But obviously, Naaman's was very bad. I believe it came upon him after he was in the military and after he was married, and I'll try to explain why. His wife would never have married a leper. Who would you accept a proposal? Uh, no. So I believe it occurred afterward. In Israel, if you had leprosy, you ran around saying, unclean, unclean, when you came in contact with people. Can you imagine? Hi there, I'm Scott, and I've got COVID. <gasps> you know, that was the response. In Syria, they didn't seem to have the same response, but nobody's going to want to touch him. Nobody's going to want to shake his hand. Uh, personally, I don't believe he was able to be intimate with his wife, so there's no record of children. I believe this had so affected his life that they were not able to have children because of the leprosy. So he said to her mistress, I wish my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria, then he would cure him of his leprosy. For the first time, this man had hope. You can bet he had prayed to every one of the gods of Aram. Nothing happened. He'd been to the physicians. Nothing happened. And now a slave girl gave him a little box that said hope. Naaman went in and told, told his master, thus and thus spoke the girl who was from the land of Israel. Now this is strange to me. 
You say, why is it strange? It's strange because who would believe a slave girl? I would have thought that mistress would have said, little girl, you don't know what you're talking about. We have gods. And Dr. Phil would say, how's it working for you? Not too well. So then he gets it from his wife. And in those kind of areas, women were not highly regarded. In fact, in the Jewish culture, the early Jewish culture, women were not even considered witnesses. If there was a witness to something, women were not considered. It had to be men. So she's at the farthest end of the totem pole, but she has a little box that says hope. And so Naaman, one of the reasons I know he's top dog because of the word commander and his victory, but also in the military there's a chain of command. You're always going to the person higher than you. Naaman goes to the king. He's the top general. The king of Aram said, now go and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. I'm surprised the king listened. I'm surprised he didn't say, why in the where did you get this information? Well, I got it from my wife, really. Where would she get it from? A slave girl. Uh-huh. But the general, out of respect for the character and, and the valiant warrior, fact that, that uh, he didn't want to lose his general. In, in, in leprosy in those days was generally, one way, shape, or form, a sentence of death. You're on the way out. So here he's got this disease. It's visible. And he didn't want to lose his general. And... This king is thinking, I don't believe this, but I'll follow through. Then the king of Aram said, go and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him. And this is a lot of silver and gold. I mean, this is a big deal here. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel saying, you now, as this letter comes to you, behold, I have sent Naaman my servant to you that he may cure you of his leprosy. Now this guy thinks he's picking a fight. So there was kind of a tentative relationship. They weren't exactly at war. They weren't exactly friends. He gets this thing saying, here, heal this guy of leprosy. They never see anybody healed of leprosy. This is ridiculous. But you know the sad thing is? The king of Israel knew he had a prophet in his midst. He knew the power of God, but he was acting like an unbeliever. He was no better than the king of, than Ben-Hadad II, who was the king of Aram. That's sad. Right there with a prophet in his midst. Now, it came about when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes. He is really, in that culture, when you're ripping your clothes, that's a, you're generally a sign of anguish. Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? But consider now and see that he's seeking a quarrel against me. Now, this is fascinating. And it happened when Elijah, the man of God, now, he had Elijah and Elisha, his follower, who, who followed in his steps after God took Elijah into heaven. The man of God heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes. I could have, I could have imagined Elisha thinking, hey, you're getting what you deserve. But he didn't want a war either. This could have erupted in a war. He sent word to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me, and he shall know that there's a prophet in Israel. He's not bragging on himself. He's saying, you need to know God is here. I am one of his servants. God can take care of this. So sometimes it's interesting how we look everywhere but to God. And now it's interesting this whole chain of events is taking place. Who started the ball rolling? An unnamed servant girl. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. Now, he took SUVs. 
super uncomfortable vehicles. <laughs> he had a long distance to travel. I tried checking this out, and um, probably around 17 days, if he went 20 miles a day, probably faster than that. But he, uh, it was a long, it was hundreds of miles that he had to travel on his super uncomfortable vehicles to get there. But desperation will, will drive us to do things like this. So Naaman came with his horses, his chariots, and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. Now, there's humor in this passage, believe it or not. It, it's actually pretty funny. Because whenever you send an ambassador, a general... You know, it's like saying the Queen of England is here to see you when she was alive, but I'm busy. No, you're not busy. You come out and see the dignitary. And Elisha sent a messenger. This is insulting to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. What? This is exactly what he didn't expect. First off, he's feeling insulted. He's, he's top dog. He's got all this money, all this all these people and the horses, the chariots. This is a huge deal. Now, here's a question nobody can answer. Elijah, where were you? I don't know if he's watching the fourth quarter of an Israeli soccer match. <laughs> I can't go out. This is hot. We're winning. I have no idea. But it's very strange he doesn't come out. So he sends a servant. And the instructions were pretty strange. But Naaman was furious and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and carry the letter. He's, he's expecting something big. He gets something small. You know, sometimes people try to earn their salvation. They think there's all kinds of things I need to do, and, and the gospel says it's free. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. We make it so hard. God says, I have a free gift. It's free, but it's not cheap. And then he takes about his two rivers, Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus. So this is what I call river rage. You've heard of road rage, this is river rage. He's thinking in his own natural mind as the unsaved guy, and he's thinking, we got two rivers better than this. If I'm going to wash leprosy off, i got a better shot in my own country. But he knew better. Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Now think about this. He's at a turning point in his life. A prophet of God has given a message through his servant of something fairly simple, and he is saying in the vernacular, I'm out of here. Then his servants came. Now, it's interesting the character of Naaman. First off, he's a valiant warrior. Second off, he's treating this young girl very, very well. We don't know how old she was. None of the commentaries took a shot at it. I'm going to guess 12-ish. Don't know. This is a young kid. So she started the ball rolling. And it's interesting, in the military, he says, my father, you don't usually address your commander that way. He had such a great relationship and respect with his men. They said, my father, had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? Isn't that interesting? Sometimes we're right at the throne of grace, ready to put our faith in the Lord, and we're thinking, eh, I'm not sure. He says, how much more than if he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself, and man, he's mad. There's probably smoke coming out every time he went up and down out of his ears. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. Seven times probably because of the number of completion in scripture. It's also a sign of true obedience. 
Now, this is fascinating. I can virtually promise you that the first time he went down, he thought, this is stupid. Number two, number three, number four, number five, and number six, he's thinking, I'm an idiot. I am mad. And the seventh time he came out, what happened? He says, his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. In one moment, by following obediently to what the prophet of God said, he was healed. He could look at his arms. The lesions were gone. The sores were gone. All the men were watching this, and they were in disbelief. All the gods he had prayed to did nothing. All the physicians couldn't help. But the God of Israel has healed his flesh, and no one had ever seen this before. Changed his life. When he returned to the man of God with his company, he came before him and said, Behold, now I know, now catch this. We're moving from a healing to an evangelistic service. He says, I know there's no God in all the earth, but in Israel. Now, you're raised in a pagan nation. You're the top dog in the military, and you're saying, I have the wrong God. All roads don't lead to heaven, folks. There are religions all over the place, and he was part of one. And it led nowhere. So please take a present from your servant now. But he said, as the Lord lives, before whom I stand, I will take nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. He didn't want him to think, you can buy grace. You know, there were times in the early Catholic Church that they were selling indulgences, basically selling salvation. And there was a monk by the name of Martin Luther who was appalled. You can't do that. Grace is free. And that changed his life and led to the Reformation. And Naaman said, if not, please let your servant at least be given two mules load of earth. And I say, why is he doing that? In those days, they often felt that the God that you worshipped had to have some of the dirt of that area. I know it's strange for us to get a hold of that, but that's what he thought. He's going to set up a family altar. For your servant will no more, now catch this, offer burnt offering nor will he sacrifice to other gods but to the Lord. Do you realize he's put his whole career on the line? He's saying, I'm in a land of many gods, but I will only worship the God that healed me. That's conversion. Sometimes you'll see people make a quickie prayer, and they're not turning their life to Christ. They're hoping to use Jesus for a fire escape. Jesus is not a fire escape. It's a commitment to follow Christ as Lord and Savior. And, 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 and to cut it real simple, Savior means he saves us from sin. Lord means he's the boss. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. Now he's going to mention about this, uh, the house of Rimon. What's he saying? He's saying when the king, Ben-Hadad II, as part of my job, I have to go in there, but I'm not going to worship that God. And Elijah said, okay. He said, that's all right. So he's not participating in the worship. He's just filling a job. I could say more on that. I'll let it go. He says, go in peace. So he depart from some distance. And then we see Gehazi. And Gehazi tries to make a profit out of the free grace that was given to this man. And he lies. And I could say more on that. You know, by lying, you get yourself in a whole lot of trouble with God really fast. It says, but the root of the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And Gehazi wound up a leper. It's fascinating. Naaman gave up his. He put his faith in Yahweh. 
Gehazi lied and became a leper. There's so much in here. Um, First of all, I want to go back to the little girl. This kid in a land of idolatry held firm. She believed in the true God, Yahweh. She believed in his prophets. She said, and she honored her master who had taken good care of her and gave them a little box that said hope. And it changed the lives of all these people. It's fascinating. First of all, when an Israeli boy was trained, he was trained three things his father wanted. One, to know the scriptures. Two, to have a viable occupation. Three, an acceptable wife. Clearly, this little girl had the scriptures instilled in her. And she wouldn't budge. At the time of Daniel, uh, as a well-known preacher, and, he, and I don't know where he got the number from, he said there was probably around 70 young men who were deported uh, and brought up in the king's table to become basically Babylonians uh, serving under uh, Nebuchadnezzar. But only four of them said, we'll only serve the true God. What happened to the rest? This little girl was Daniel with a skirt. Tough as nails. She was a child of the king, but I personally believe she became a daughter of the general. How would she be treated? She was a hero. She brought faith to an idolatrous household. Through what she had suffered from being taken, she was not bitter. There's an old saying, bloom where you're planted. She was planted and she bloomed. I find it amazing that now, because of her faith, she's going to be raised in the only household in Syria, Aram, that is now what we would call a Christian home. Can you bet that this wife did not? I mean, Naaman says, I'm setting up a family altar. He's becoming a convert. That means his wife's becoming a convert. She has changed the household now because of his men. Since a general has come to faith, that's like giving permission to the guys. What about you? We don't know how many came to faith. And you can bet it's not going to be on any Syrian records. Incidentally, we rejected our gods and we've come to the God of Israel. I don't think so. We don't know how many came to faith. The whole family was changed. The other thing about this kid, and we'll have a little bit of fun here. Um, It moves from a healing service to an evangelistic service. They're in a pagan nation. The rest of the family, the rest of the story, as Paul Hardy would say, they all get home, they tell the story of what's happened, and I can bet you what this little kid said. Told you so. Immovable faith. So now, Naaman was a victim. 
and later a convert. Mrs. Naaman was a wife of a leprous man. His servants were his supporters, but not heroes. Elijah was doing his basic duty, but for reasons we're not given, doesn't even show up at the door. Gehazi, the servant, just relayed a message and tried to profit from it. Who's the real hero? You're an unnamed slave girl who refused to be conformed to idol worship and refused to be silent about her faith. Now, here's a question. How would you like to be an unlikely hero? This little girl had everything against her, but she was vocal about her faith. Three qualifications necessary. One, you must be a born-again Christian, in this case, a God-fearing individual. Two, available for God's servant. It's interesting what what, uh, Isaiah said. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? He said, Here am I, send Fred. And I said, Here am I, send me. And it was a rough life. He said, I'm available. Third, you must be in the word of God. It's interesting. When Samuel was a priest in training, just a little kid, he heard a voice. And Eli, the senior priest, said, uh, Go back to bed. He came to him again. He said, You calling me? No, go back to bed. And then Eli said, I wonder if the Lord is talking to this kid. He said, tell him, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Today, you don't have to hear the voice of God. You've got the word of God in your hand, back to back, Genesis to Revelation. So if we are committed to Christ, available for service, in the word of God, listening and obedient to his commands, we could be the next unlikely hero. He will use you sometimes in surprising ways. Um, When I went to seminary many moons ago, I didn't know this until later when I read it. One of the seminary students had been a teacher in the public school and apparently teaching biology to kids, and one of the kids challenged him on the view of creation. He thought about it. Would you believe he became a Christian? And then he later went to seminary and then later went to the Philippines to serve. Isn't that amazing? So I'm going to close and I'm going to give you a few moments just as we pray together that um, maybe say the Lord, just remind him, I'm available. I want to be an unlikely hero. Let's close. Father, thank you your work in our lives, the fact that you're not looking for the latest and greatest, you're looking for people that are available and want to serve. Help us all to be available so that you might use us in ways we can't even imagine, maybe an influence, maybe a word, maybe a testimony of what you've done in our life, maybe an invitation. And I just pray we can be those kind of people and be one of your unlikely heroes. In Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to our message from Highland Hill Community Church at www.highlandhillchurch.org. Please join us where you can find more ways to connect with us. We hope to see you soon.